Good morning, it is 11.30 a.m. on Thursday, January 25th, 2024, and you're tuned in to CFRC 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from Carruthers Hall on Queen's campus in Kingston, Ontario. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, and you're listening to Kingston Currents. CFRC's news programming is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. In the next half hour, we'll get into a new collaboration between Spaces Shared, an intergenerational home sharing platform, and St. Lawrence College. Next, we sit down with a member of Queen's Students vs. Cuts to discuss the latest updates regarding the Queen's budget crisis. St. Lawrence College has partnered with Spaces Shared, a platform that pairs students looking for affordable accommodations with older adults who have extra space in their homes. With affordable housing being a significant challenge in Kingston, this partnership aims to create new housing options for SLC students and give older adults a way to leverage a spare bedroom for some extra income, company, and assistance around the home. Home sharing also encourages intergenerational relationships, helps people age at home, and alleviates social isolation for both hosts and students. Plans are to add Brockville and Cornwall in the coming months as well. To talk about Spaces Shared and this collaboration, I sat down with the platform CEO, Rylan Kinnan. Well, to start us off, I was wondering if you could describe Spaces Shared for our listeners who may not be familiar. So Spaces Shared is an intergenerational home sharing platform that makes it safe, secure, and easy for verified students and verified hosts to match, to connect with each other, to get to know each other, and if they want to proceed to entering into a home share agreement, uh, to enter into that home share agreement, make and receive payments, and then also get check-ins with our customer success team every month. Thank you. And you've just entered this partnership with St. Lawrence College. I was wondering if you could uh, describe a bit how that came about and if you've ever done collaborations like this with academic institutions in the past. So um, all of our communities that we've launched in, we launched with a partner in the post-secondary space. So the first partner that we launched with was Georgian College in Barrie. The second partner that we launched with was Humber College in Toronto. And uh, since those first two announcements, we've announced, uh, I think, about 10 or 12 additional. We work with post-secondary institutions to do two things. Uh, We work with them to raise awareness in the community about this as an option, uh, an option for older adults. And then once we've done community engagement, and we have hosts uh, on the platform ready to go, then we work with our partners to make sure their students are aware of the opportunity and start using the Spaces Shared platform to start matching the hosts. Um, I believe St. Lawrence reached out to us after they had read about our partnership with Georgian College in Barrie, and they said, we'd like to explore whether this would be a fit um, for our community. Yeah, we connected, we talked about the platform, and we were really excited to work together. Awesome. And I was wondering if you could get into the impact intergenerational home sharing can have on the community and uh, benefit both students and community members who participate. Totally. So there are many benefits of intergenerational home share. And the nice thing is the research is done and the research is extremely clear. Um, For older adults, uh, intergenerational home share leads to improvements uh, in both mental and physical health outcomes. Um, there's been a lot of coverage recently about the ways in which loneliness is so problematic for everyone, but particularly for older adults and the negative health outcomes associated with loneliness. So by having a student in the home and having that companionship and that company, you're addressing loneliness off the bat. 
The second piece is that for folks who want to age in their homes, the challenges might be as simple as no longer being able to um, take up the garbage or recycling, no longer being able to get up and change a battery in a shoveling snow, raking leaves. These are all things that student can help students can help out with. And then finally, the additional income for the older adult can also be huge. If you're on a fixed income, getting another few hundred dollars or, or more per month uh, means you suddenly have access to a resource uh, that allows you to do more things. For the student, um, especially if they're new to the community, it's an opportunity to really build a meaningful connection in the community, understand how that community operates. One of the things that we've absolutely loved seeing with our existing matches is the ways that our hosts help their students navigate the community. So we've had hosts that have helped students sign up for their driver's tests. We've had hosts that have helped students find uh, part-time jobs to apply to. We've had hosts that have found uh, culturally appropriate supermarkets that students can cook the meals that they're used to. It truly is a win-win for both students and for hosts. And our hope is in the communities that we operate in, we start to build better connections between students and older adults, uh, and we build better community as a result. Mm, absolutely. And getting into some of the details here, I was wondering uh, if you could get into who's eligible for this program, who's the best fit, and uh, a bit of the process of getting involved. So um, while we've been very focused on older adults, anyone that has a spare room can sign up. Uh, currently, Spaces Shared is just for sharing a room in a home in, that you occupy and live in. Um, we only allow students at this point to sign up for Spaces Shared. So if someone's contacting you uh, in the community, we verify that they are a registered student. And the process is as simple as going to www.spacesshared.ca to sign up as a host or a student. On the host side, we ask them to tell us about themselves, their hobbies, their interests, the languages they speak, any dietary restrictions or critical allergies. We ask them to tell us about their home. Um, what rooms does the student have access to? What are the amenities? Um, is the room furnished? What's included? Who else lives in the home? Are there any pets in the home? And then we ask the host to fill in their housemate preferences. So we ask questions about daytime and evening guests both what do you as a host do? How often do you have daytime and evening guests? What are you comfortable with your match doing? We ask about foods that you cook in the home and foods you're not comfortable with being cooked in the home. We ask about uh, substance consumption, alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis. What do you do? What are you comfortable with your match doing? We ask about cleanliness in the kitchen, the bathroom, and the shared spaces. How often do you clean them? How often do you expect your guests to? And then um, once the host has created that profile, our customer success team reviews it. We make sure that the address of the listing matches uh, the identity of the host. And then students can start reaching out. And when a student reaches out, they can see the match score for the host, how far the host's home is from their post-secondary campus, and how they would get there by public transit or by car. And um, the host, when the student sends them a message, can see how well that student does or dot, does not match their criteria. Um, once the students reach out by message, they uh, can choose to have a video chat. Um, they have to have a video chat and get to know each other through the platform before they can move to the next stage. And we give the host and the student a discussion guide that allows them to ask the right questions of getting some of those questions are ones like, if I spoke to a former roommate, 
what would they say are the best attributes uh, that you bring to a home sharing arrangement? If I spoke to a former roommate, what would they say are the challenges of living with you? And these types of questions just help the two sides get a, a sense for each other. If after that video meeting, they both feel comfortable, the student sends a booking request, which the host uh, would accept. Um, they can edit the agreement and the platform, which is pre-populated by the platform. And once they agree, uh, we collect uh, payment information from the student, from the host, and um, they move to move in. When the student moves in, we check in the day that the student moves in with both the host and the guest, make sure everything's okay and is as they expected. Um, once the student completes that move-in checklist, we release the first month's payment to the host. Then we check in a week thereafter, see how things are going, and then we check in every month. And that check-in is a survey. And if that survey comes back with anything other than um, a full satisfaction score, a member of our customer success team follows up to ask what's going on. And our customer success team are all social workers uh, that have experience in intergenerational home share. And that's, I think, the key thing for Spaces Shared is it's not just the technology that automates and supports the function of a host and a student getting to know each other at the front end. It's also about that ongoing support and the fact that you're never in this by yourself. Mm -hmm, definitely. Thank you very much for getting into those details there. I think the number one question all of our student volunteers had at the station was, you know, how do you ensure it's a good match? Like, what's the screening process? So thank you so much for getting into it. Such good detail there. And I believe you have an info session approaching next week. I was wondering if you could get into what people can expect from that and uh, how they can attend. Fantastic. Well, and thanks for asking me about that. We're really excited for those information sessions. It's really great to meet community leaders and community members and uh, be able to answer their questions about the program, um, understand any concerns that they might have, and really just make sure they have all of the information that they need to be able to make a decision uh, to participate in the program. So, Next week, that session uh, will be uh, myself and some colleagues from Spaces Shared. We're going to walk through how the platform works. We're going to talk a little bit about the process, and we're going to answer any questions that community members uh, or community leaders have. We'll also have some devices with us so that if anyone wants to start the process of signing up for Spaces Shared, they'll be able to get help in doing so. Once again, that was Rylan Kinnan, CEO of Spaces Shared, on their collaboration with SLC. To learn more about Spaces Shared, be sure to attend their info session on February 1st at St. Lawrence College. You can register for the event on Eventbrite listed under Spaces Shared Information Session, SLC Kingston Campus. Before we get into more local news, we're going to turn to our CFRC weather report for this evening and our weekly traffic report with Chloe Paris. For your weather report, today we're expecting cloudy skies with a 40% chance of drizzle. There is a risk of more freezing rain this morning with fog patches. We have a high of plus 3, UV index 1 or low. For tonight, we're expecting still cloudy skies with a 40% chance of drizzle and periods of rain beginning overnight. Fog patches will be dissipating overnight. Wind will be coming from northeast 20 km per hour before morning. We have a low of plus 1. Looking to tomorrow, we're expecting periods of rain ending in the afternoon, then cloudy with a 40% chance of showers. Winds will be 20 km per hour coming light early in the afternoon and we have a high of plus three. Next up is Chloe with your CFRC traffic report. Now it's time for your CFRC weekly traffic report. Please note that the winter parking ban is in effect. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. 
For road closures, University Avenue, Union to Earl is closed until May 29th for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's John Dutch University Centre project. In other delays, Queen Street, Montreal to Sydenham, expect an eastbound lane closure until April 1st, 2024. Detours will be in place for the duration of the lane closure. That's all for your January 23rd weather and traffic report. Now I'm throwing it back to Christina with more local news. Thank you, Chloe. Discussions surrounding the Queen's budget cuts continue as Provost Matthew Evans and Dean Barbara Crow made an appearance at the last Queen's Arts and Science Undergraduate Society meeting, and a special Senate meeting was held last week to discuss the topic. While Evans and Crow were in attendance at the ACES meeting, not much new information was divulged as questions from students remained unanswered. Evans often redirected ArtSci-related questions to Dean Crow, and Crow declined to answer, stating that there would be another opportunity in the future to ask questions. At Wednesday's special Senate meeting, Provost Evans presented some new figures to members of the Senate, stressing the role of the Faculty of Arts and Science in spending. After Monday and Wednesday's meetings, Queen's Students vs. Cuts, a group of students and members of the Queen's community that have been speaking out regarding the cuts and the lack of transparency from the university since November, made posts criticizing the narrative being pushed regarding the role of arts and science in the deficit, and expressed their disappointment in the lack of discussion at the ACES meeting. Ethan Shilcott, one of the members of Queen's Students vs. Cuts, sat down with CFRC after last week's events to talk about Queen's Students vs. Cuts and the recent developments in the discussion surrounding the Queen's budget crisis. Start us off, Queensy Students versus Cuts has been, I would say, a lot of people, especially students, main source. You've gathered a lot of information since the story broke. What are the objectives behind this page and the reasoning behind stepping up to get this content out to students? Primarily, it's an information page. The organization is almost its own separate thing. Um, we just, we all feel, and everyone across all sorts of organizations involved in this field that Queens has just been dropping the ball really badly on transparency and communication. And I, you know, we'd all been hearing about stuff like rumors for a long time. And there was just very little that was actually accessible to students unless they sort of knew someone who knew someone who had been given a copy of something by a professor. So we wanted to centralize everything and get the information out there so students could make informed decisions about their education. Absolutely. And broad question, but what are some of the major concerns the group has about these cuts and the way the university has been handling it so far? The lack of um, communication just in general, but particularly, I mean, with students, it's one thing, but also one of the things that really concerns us is the fact that staff and faculty often don't know what's going on or aren't being consulted, which means students looking to have their questions answered can't even ask their professors they can't you know i can't go and ask my department administrator about this i can't go ask a professor for details because they often have as much information as we do and it's just you know everyone is sort of working in the dark which makes it you know it's 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 scary for everyone students don't know what's going to happen to their programs people don't know what's going to happen to their jobs um I mean, it, it started as a student thing, but now a lot of the communication we do and a lot of the people we engage with are also their like staff and faculty because it's it's actually been quite, it's been quite good and sort of uplifting to see how much solidarity there has been between staff and faculty and undergrads and graduate students and even, even faculty members sort of coming together around this issue. Um, 
which has been nice. It, it would be nice if it weren't under these circumstances, but that's that's been a positive, definitely. Um, I guess some of the other concerns is that we worry that the messaging and the narrative that is being constructed around these budget cuts is not an accurate representation of Queens's finances. They put 20 million away last year towards a new building and they're putting another 35 million out of their um, investment windfalls this year towards a new building as well. And, you know, in two years where they're saying that they're in this, you know, this existential crisis where, you know, they're threatening hundreds of layoffs and at the town hall, they're saying, you know, the university might close and all that, even if it's just rhetorical, the fact that they're putting away tens of millions into new capital projects, like while they're also pushing this, it's just, there's a disconnect somewhere. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a question of values, I think, mm -hmm. whether the importance of capital projects, whether the sort of advancement of growing is more important than maintaining the quality of education currently. That's one of the things that we're we're uh, concerned about. I mean, there there are all sorts of threads to this. I mean, we're worried about what's going on in Ontario as well, but that's sort of I'd say beyond our pay grade, but obviously we're not being uh, we're not being paid anyway. But that is that is like beyond our reach at the moment. So the least we can do is address the issues at Queens, which is a university that is being uniquely affected, um, despite you know inflation and COVID and and tuition freeze being something that affects all Ontario universities. Um, Queens is portraying itself at least as being in a worse state than the rest of them. And if that's true, we would like to know why. And if it's not true, we would like to know why it's being presented that way. Yeah. And you got into the Senate meeting there for a moment. I was wondering if you could speak a bit more to that. I know posts have already been made with concerns that the presentations were perhaps less than helpful. I was wondering if you could get into some of the details from yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean... <sighs> On the one hand, I appreciate that more information is now being presented from the provost's office. Um, you know, those some of those numbers were not numbers we had access to before. There's a page now on the provost website where it has all the presentations um, that have been given and all sort of the latest updates. And he even mentioned that they were considering doing like a monthly newsletter. And that, that would be good from a strategy perspective just for I mean like from their perspective giving people insight into what their general strategic goals are mm -hmm. but it is still lacking in a couple ways um, one of them would be that a lot of stuff is deflected to the faculties um, uh, the ASSIS assembly on Monday which was billed and I think it's still on their page on their social media pages as a discussion period with Dean Crow and Provost Evans Dean Crow arrived, sat in the audience, and then said that she wasn't taking any questions. And then so half the meeting was Provost Evans saying, well, that's really a question for Dean Crow, and everyone turning around and looking at her. And then there was an awkward silence for about 10 seconds, then we moved on to the next question. But as to the other thing about the helpfulness of the presentation, a lot of it seems to be stressed around targeting arts and science as this big, like, revenue-draining 
like, you know, look at it compared to all these other faculties with its huge, scary bar into the negatives and all the other faculties are just like dipping into the negatives. But it nothing was really addressed by Provost Evans in the meeting that acknowledged the fact that ArtSci is massive. It is not the same as other faculties in that there is such a breadth of subjects addressed in it. You know, this, you know, Smith School of Business, like you've got business, you've got engineering, you've got health sciences, law, education, like those are very specific, but arts and sciences covers a large sort of portion of, of human knowledge. So it's, it's not easy to run and it's not easy to centralize. And it is so large that when you divide sort of like what we did was just look at the numbers that he gave in the presentation and then tried to see what it was proportional to the actual size of each faculty, which is up on our page right now. And when you do that, when you divide the projected deficit by things like the number of faculty members or the number of undergrad students, you realize that actually arts and science doesn't even have like the largest deficit per undergrad student or per faculty member, which, you know, raises questions about why it's being presented that way, why the issue of the size of arts and science isn't really coming into play and how it's being presented. You know, people aren't really talking about cuts to the Smith School of Business, but it's actually, you know, on a per student and per staff member basis. So proportional to its size. Mm -hmm it's a, it, the cuts that are necessary to get it into equilibrium are going to be um, proportionally greater to those in arts and science. Um, and that's just not a subject that's been discussed because if people start discussing that or people start discussing equilibrium in engineering, then all of a sudden you've got all the faculties together concerned about how this is being addressed and that would make it significantly harder um, for the provost office to push cuts through if everyone's objecting and so it's this sort of this divide and conquer technique which is a little concerning um to be getting from your your university's administration ethan also spoke to the specific targeting of the faculty of arts and science and there are all sorts of things that have made it clear that it's targeted to arts and science but it's also it's also so complicated because within arts and science, there are also all sorts of political and ideological things going on in terms of sort of a moving away from the humanities and emphasizing the sciences side of arts and science. People will say, like, what's the point of a music degree or what's the point of a gender studies or a classics or any of those degrees? And, you know, it isn't necessarily mainstream, but they're also it's not like people are trying to expand those departments actively. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to maintain them. And it would be a little weird for a university with sort of a reputation as a prestigious liberal arts college, like Queens, that is Queens, has been Queens reputation for a long time. It would be a little strange for us to not have a music program. Like that would, that would look really weird. Um, it would look weird if we didn't study, if we didn't have, you know, gender studies, if we didn't have, you know, we already barely have language courses. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's sort of moving away from specialized knowledge to, to generalized 
sort of, you know, they're trying to increase class sizes, they're reducing the number of electives. So it's everyone's going to have to take sort of, if you to fill out your 120 credits, you're going to end up taking more courses from outside of your department, which then means if you want to do graduate studies, you'll be at a disadvantage compared to other universities. It's just not, it's not a good model. And all of that is, that stuff is inside arts and science. Like that's not really something that the provost has direct control over. And so it's this, it's this sort of multi-leveled issue because on a faculty level and then on a university level and then also because of the tuition freeze and all that stuff also on a provincial level so it's it's complicated like no one's pretending it's not which is why it's all the more important that students are informed and since they're not being informed someone had to do it yeah i mean a lot of the role of of course the page and the group you're in um has just been spreading the word to students and consolidating that information um, getting it out there. But I was curious, just because you mentioned there that a lot of decisions are up to faculty. I was wondering if you are having discussions on the faculty level about how they're handling this as opposed to just with the provost. And uh, I'm sure a lot of faculty feel yeah. like they have their hands tied, but I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. I mean, our information, because of arts and sciences is a, is a strange, <laughs> another reason arts and science is a strange faculty is that Department heads in arts and science are part of the faculty union, which they are not in other faculties, which are more centralized because they're so small, you can have a very top down approach. And so it's created this weird structure where you have people in management positions who identify more with the staff and sort of general faculty than with management which is why you get so many leaks and so much resistance coming out of arts and science, I think, at least partially. And so we just, one of the reasons that we have, like generally a lot of our content has been more focused on, I mean, the general level, but then if we do talk about a faculty, it's almost always arts and science. And it's just because there's more information that we can access. Mm -hmm. Like there are going to have to be, I think, I think it looked like 11 million or something in cuts to, the, to commerce in the next two years or so. But no one knows what any of that looks like. There's not been a leaked memo that says exactly what that's what that's going to say. No one has, you know, the dean of the school up on stage refusing to speak or sort of commenting quietly that they haven't been renewing contracts. So it's just it's very hard to get our hands on that information. And that goes back to the transparency thing. Since my discussion with Ethan, both Provost Evans and Dean Crow have pulled out of the AMS meeting they were planning to attend this evening. However, the Queen's community is hopeful that more information will be shared at the Arts and Science Faculty Board meeting on January 26th. I think that'll be the first big uh, meeting between faculty and the Dean, in which the Dean is required to answer questions uh, since a lot of this stuff happened. But yeah, so I think that will also be an interesting event and potentially more informative than the AMS assembly. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. Brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the local journalism initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. To hear more from our guests, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. 
Waddle Eye Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. Waddle Eye Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at Waddle Eye Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at Waddle Eye Wear. 